So if you have a, a Bible, those black hardcover Bibles that Rachel mentioned, uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, uh, and that will be on page 946 if you're using that, uh, that black hardcover Bible. We, uh, we're continuing, uh, as we've been in this fall, we're continuing that same series this morning. We're calling it Rehearsing the Gospel. Uh, and what we're doing in this series is we're considering the, the different aspects uh, of worship when we gather as the people of God. What those things are, what they're meant to form in us. Uh, and as we've been considering those things, today we've arrived at preaching. And so admittedly, uh, today might feel a little bit strange uh, there was an episode of Seinfeld years ago where uh, Kramer uh, decided to make a coffee table book about coffee tables. And so today might feel a little bit like that. This is a sermon about sermons uh, or preaching about preaching. Uh, but even if it feels a little bit weird, uh, if listening to, if engaging with the preaching of the Word of God is a regular practice for us, then it's something that we really need to uh, step back from get a bigger and, and broader view of, and consider really what is preaching? What is it? Uh, why do we do that every single week? And really what is so important uh, about it? And we've got uh, a lot of ground that we're going to try to cover in that together this morning, so uh, I'm just going to jump right in. I'm going to read from the book of Romans chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 9 and then reading all the way down through verse 17. Uh, so listen now with open ears to this book that we love. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Lord God, let the words of my mouth, let the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, we'll spend our time this morning really considering uh, the answer to three questions. What is preaching? Why is preaching so important? And how is preaching meant to form us? What is preaching? Why is it so important? How is it meant to form us? So first off, what is, uh, what is preaching? In a couple weeks, uh, those of you who are history buffs or just maybe reformed Protestant buffs, um, if there's such a thing as that, I think there probably is, uh, in a couple weeks, uh, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, at least what's, what's commonly marked as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, October 31st of the year 1517, Martin Luther uh, nailed what is now known as the 95 Theses to the door of All Saints Chapel, All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And what he did in doing that was really to ignite this, 
this powder keg that had been building for decades. It, it kicked off the Protestant Reformation. One of the most important contributions of the Protestant Reformation was that it recovered the centrality of preaching in the gathered worship of the church. So prior to the Reformation, it wasn't that, that preaching was always absent or missing from gathered worship, but it, it was that most of the preaching that happened, by and large, actually wasn't preaching at all. There's a huge difference between teaching and preaching. There's a, a huge difference between a good, uh, interesting, informative message or talk, and on the other hand, preaching. Uh, both of these things are really valuable. Uh, both are really necessary. But teaching or talks really primarily are means of conveying information. Preaching, on the other hand, if we could succinctly define preaching, it would be this. It's the authoritative proclamation of the Word of God. What is preaching? It's the authoritative proclamation of the Word of God. So preaching opens up the Word of God. It points to God himself, and it brings all of his person, all of his work to bear in the lives of those who hear. So if you, really, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, with the rest of our time, hear this. That preaching only exists because God has made himself known. Preaching only exists, preaching only has meaning at all because God has made himself known. If God has not revealed himself in scripture, there is nothing to authoritatively proclaim. There is nothing to preach. The reason that the reformers returned preaching to its central place in worship was because one of the pillars of the Reformation was the return to the centrality of Scripture itself. One of the pillars of the Reformation is called sola scriptura, meaning Scripture alone. And what they mean by that, what the Reformers meant by that when they, when they made that a pillar of the Reformation, was that Scripture is the highest and most reliable authority for the Christian faith and for Christian practice. So neither church tradition uh, nor church leadership shares that same level of authority that scripture does. And in fact, uh, all tradition and all leadership in the church, preaching itself for that matter, they derive the authority that they do have because of the higher authority of the word of God that's found in scripture. So preaching and the word of God really go hand in hand. When you recover one, you're going to, by definition, recover the other. And your view and your perception the importance and value you place on preaching has everything to do with your view and your perception and the importance you place on Scripture. So if Scripture is, is merely history, or it's merely literature, or on the other hand, maybe if Scripture is just myth, then preaching really won't be valuable, uh, necessary, or important to you. Instead, you'll just need a historian uh, or a literary critic to teach you about what's there. Or on the other hand, you'll need like some kind of guru to interpret that for you into something relevant for today in, in like a self-help kind of approach. But in contrast to these things, an author named Robert Weber puts it this way in his book called Ancient Future Worship. He says, preaching throughout scripture is always about God and how he has entered into the history of the world to rescue and save it. And Robert Weber goes on to say, there's a great need today to rediscover biblical preaching, which is the recitation of God's mighty acts of salvation. The recitation of God's mighty acts of salvation. This is the story of the redemption of the world, God's redemption of the world. 
And as he talks about the need for preaching in this letter to the Romans, that's precisely what the Apostle Paul is drawing attention to in this text. So hopefully you heard this when we read it. This passage is highlighting why preaching is really essential. But first and foremost, preaching is only essential because its content is the redemptive work of God. And we hear that all throughout this text. Verse 9, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Simple statement. We say it all the time. We maybe don't think about the implications of it. Whose world is this? Who gets to narrate the story of the world? Whose right is it to dictate the story of the world? In a place where the refrain of the people was Caesar is Lord in Rome, Paul is saying here it's not Caesar. It's not any other human ruler. It's God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns. And so the redemption of God is that he has not abandoned his good creation to the corruption of sin, but has reasserted his lordship over his creation, and he's used that position of power, he's used that position of strength and might to reconcile the world to himself. Again in verse 9, God raised him from the dead. So Jesus is the one who accomplishes the rescue of his people by destroying the power of sin, by subverting the power of death itself, in his death and resurrection. Verse 11, those who believe are not put to shame. Sin, all the different ways we can think about or describe sin, brokenness, guilt, pollution, corruption, fracture, sin brings shame. It's also a critical part of of what the definition of sin is. It brings shame. And that's why the first thing that Adam and Eve do after the fall is attempt to cover themselves and hide from God. But we need not, because of the redemptive work of God, remain in our sin or the shame of that sin forever. God's redemption means that we are not put to shame. We will not be put to shame, but we'll be freed from it, along with sin's guilt and along with sin's condemnation, along with sin's power. Verse 12, God bestows riches on all people. So the redemption that's accomplished by Jesus, that fulfills this promise that God made to Abraham centuries earlier, that salvation is not just for the Israelites, it's not just for the descendants of Abraham, but it's for all of the peoples of the world. And we looked at this last week, it's no longer just for Jews, it's for Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks. Paul is saying here, Jesus is Lord and Savior of all who call on him regardless of their racial or social or ethnic background. In verse 15, Paul refers to the good news. In verse 16, he calls it the gospel, which means good news. And what he's referring to there are God's mighty acts of salvation accomplished through the finished work of Jesus. And so it culminates here in verse 17. He speaks about the word of Christ. Namely, this good news that God, what God created in perfection and in goodness, what sin fractured and destroyed, Jesus has brought back, has bought back, through his life, death, and resurrection. That Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, is making all things new. That he will, one day, as Lord of all, put down all of the rebellion that persists against him in the kingdom of God, and that all who trust in him will experience the perfection of eternity with God forever. So this really is the content, as well as the source, of faithful preaching. That was the case for Paul, Uh, It remains that way for us today. And it's why faithful preaching has power that just mere teaching or talks do not. 
It's not because uh, preachers are, are more dynamic speakers. It's not that preachers are more articulate speakers. Uh, I had the privilege yesterday at the men's retreat of having people do their best impression of me as a pastor. It's very humbling to see your quirks displayed, acted out by other people. I'm grateful for the humility. It's not that I'm a particularly dynamic and articulate speaker that does anything. If something happens to you in this church, it's because the word of God is powerful. It's because the word of God, as the author of Hebrews says, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It discerns the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And therefore, preaching is so much more than the transfer of information. It's meant to do what the word of God itself is meant to do. A pastor, author named R.C. Sproul, summarizes it by saying that preaching exhorts, exposits, admonishes, encourages, and comforts. And those are all really big words that are not necessarily intuitive what they mean. So let me just walk through that real quick. It exhorts, meaning uh, it appeals to, it implores people to believe in Christ and to live in light of that belief. It exposits, which means it does a, a head-first dive into the text of Scripture, seeking to understand what the author, under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, was seeking to communicate to the original audience and then how that relates to us today. It admonishes, uh, meaning that it corrects or rebukes errors. It encourages. So as it also rebukes and corrects, it builds up and affirms what God has already done uh, and what God is doing. And it calls us to press on to know God, not by the strength of our own efforts, but as we are sustained and transformed one degree of glory to another by the faithfulness of God. And it comforts. As it proclaims the promises of God, it thereby imparts the very peace of God that is ours and that will fully one day be ours because of Jesus. So preaching is all of these things. And however different it might sound coming from the mouths of different people, uh, in different places, in different contexts, in different eras and circumstances, it is only truly preaching to the degree that it is faithfully proclaiming the very word of God. Second, why is preaching so important? Why is preaching so important? We've bled into that already a little bit. Uh, another way to elaborate on what I've already been talking about some is to say that, that preaching is important because God has spoken. Why is preaching important? Because God has spoken. And this is what the scriptures are. They're God's reliable, authoritative revelation of himself. And so it's common among Christians to hear uh, people talk about how they wish that God would speak to them. And by that, what we always, almost always mean is that God would like write something for us in the sky, that he would give us some kind of sign, that he would show up in some kind of miraculous way. Here's the thing, God has shown up in a miraculous way. And the real miracle is that the God of heaven and earth has revealed himself, that what otherwise would be unknowable has been made known. It's been handed down, it's been written down for our instruction and for our benefit. That you and I could actually know the God who is there, could actually hear from and receive from the God who is there. That is a miracle. So preaching is important because it's proclaiming what God has already spoken. And without this, the only option for us that's left is to constantly subject ourselves to something as fickle inconsistent and unreliable as our own individual opinions or feelings or perceptions. 
And so 500 years ago, the Reformation recovered preaching as central, first and foremost to combat traditions and, and leadership in the church that was antithetical to the truth of the gospel. And today we need more of the same. We also today need preaching to combat the hyper-individualism of Western civilization, something that actually has been affected by, I would call, perversions of what the Reformation was trying to do. It made, it, it made people hyper-individualistic. So an all-too-common idea, especially in the West, especially among American Protestant evangelical Christians, is that all I need for the Christian life is me and Jesus and my Bible. But sola scriptura is not solo scriptura. It's not that we should disdain tradition or disdain church leadership. Quite the opposite. We're actually called to regard those things very highly. Sola scriptura means that because God has spoken, tradition and leadership are not equal to the authority of Scripture. They're subject to the authority of Scripture themselves. But every single one of us needs to hear the Word of God proclaimed, not just by ourselves and our Bibles. We need to hear the Word of God proclaimed with something more, something deeper, something less wavering than our own opinions and perceptions. Otherwise, it's just another, more deceptive form of slavery. Professor named Guy Waters says it this way, the reformers rejected not only the view that authority in matters of faith and practice lies ultimately in the church, they also rejected the view that authority lies ultimately in the individual. The reformers did not want to see human beings transferred from one form of spiritual bondage to another. They longed to see men and women freed from sin and freed by and for Jesus Christ through the gospel of grace. So this is the main reason that preaching is so important. It's because God has spoken. God has spoken. Another reason preaching is so important is because, as Paul says here in verse 17, faith comes from hearing. And that's really what, throughout this text, Paul is driving at and culminates with. Preaching is one of God's primary means of saving people, of giving them a new heart. Through preaching, God generates faith in people and thereby imparts his new life as people are united to Jesus. So in verse 9, a relatively well-known verse, if you've, if you've grown up perhaps in the church or Christian circles, says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That verbal confession with our mouths, that's, that's not some kind of uh, magic word or magic action that saves us. What that is, that's external affirmation, external evidence that we have faith in our heart, that our hearts truly believe. It's giving voice to this internal reality that something in the deepest part of our soul has been changed. And now our hope and our trust and our confidence rests in Christ and what Christ has done. How does that faith get there? Think about that even for your own life. How did that faith get there for you if, if you would be someone who says, yes, I believe? The answer is, as we read this text in all of Scripture, God has to put it there. God has to put it there. We aren't left to ourselves smart enough, uh, capable enough, humble enough to generate that kind of deep and sincere belief or transformation. Right? Left to ourselves, actually what we see play out in Scripture is that we reject God. We aren't just those who are ignorant of God. What Paul begins the letter to the Romans saying is that we are not ignorant of truth. We are suppressors of truth. And what God has made known, we like to put down and suppress So God must give us 
faith. And one of the primary ways that the Spirit of God does this is through the preaching of the Word of God. A pastor named James Boyce passed away several years ago. He was a pastor in Philadelphia. He used the metaphor once uh, of conception to illustrate this as he was referring to Romans chapter 9. He said this, What is necessary in order for a new life to come into being? You have to have the sperm of the father and the egg of the mother. They have to come together. And this is what happens in the new birth. God, first of all, plants the egg of saving faith in the heart of man or woman, or of a man or woman, because even faith is the gift of God. He's referring to Ephesians chapter 2 there. Then God takes his living word, what Boyce calls the seed of spiritual procreation, and allows that word to be proclaimed in such a way that it goes into the person through the gate of the ears, through hearing, and it penetrates the egg of faith. And as a result, there is a spiritual conception. There is a new life. And that leads to, directly into another reason why preaching is so important. And that is because we want others to experience the salvation of God. You can't read anything that the Apostle Paul writes. and He writes a lot of the New Testament. You can't read anything he writes without tasting something of his passion and his urgency that people would look to Jesus and would believe and be saved. That's the whole reason for his letters and for his letter to the Romans. There's, he's saying in Romans, there's no one righteous, not even one. Both Jews and Gentiles have a desperate need to believe in Jesus. And the only way that people will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart is if they hear. And the only way that they will hear, at least in terms of the ordinary means that God uses, is if someone preaches. And the only way someone will preach is if someone is sent. So there are, and perhaps you've heard uh, teaching on this in the past, there are huge implications in this text for evangelism, uh, for missions, both locally uh, as well as globally. Uh, for why it's so important for us to be equipped to be able to share the good news of Jesus. Not all Christians are called to preach the gospel in an authoritative kind of way, but all Christians are among the sent people of God. We are all among the people who have been sent into the world to herald the good news of Jesus so that people might hear and believe and experience the salvation of God. Rather than, than tease out all of the different implications uh, for evangelism and mission this morning, let me just ask you this. Do you long for people to experience God's salvation? Do you long for people to experience God's salvation? Do you ever weep? And not, not only over the condition of the world, although there, I'm sure, is plenty to weep about, about the condition of the world, do you ever weep over the condition of the hearts of the real human beings, the real flesh and blood and spiritual people that you know and cross paths with every day? Do you ever pause to remember who you are and who you were apart from the saving work of Christ? We get, and I'm guilty of this all the time, we get so consumed by our own lives, by the difficulties and the complexities and the sorrows and the busyness of what we have going on, that we forget that all of those things, all the hardships and the sorrows and the complexity of this life is but a mist, is but a mist. And if we long for other people to experience the salvation of God, to that degree, we will cherish preaching. We'll value and cherish the preaching of the word of God.
And I say that because this is really the counterpoint, the important counterpoint to a purely relational approach to evangelism and to mission. So as God's people in the world, uh, we don't want to be people who just uh, preach Jesus and withhold ourselves and withhold relationships until someone believes. Like, I'm going to keep you at an arm's length. Once you maybe make a decision to follow Jesus, then we can be friends, then we can be in relationship with one another. But a purely relational approach where we just say, I'm just going to be friends with you. Maybe something will happen someday by osmosis. That rejects the reality of what Paul says here. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So as loving, uh, as sacrificial, as compassionate and beneficial as I hope all of our relationships are with people who don't at present believe, our relationships are never what saves people. It's Jesus who saves people. And he saves people by grace through faith, is what Paul is saying, faith that comes by hearing. Third and finally, how is preaching meant to form us? How is preaching meant to form us? We do this, we listen to preaching, we engage with preaching for many of you every single week. Uh, What is that forming in us? What is it meant to form in us? And we've considered some how God uses preaching to bring about saving faith uh, among those who don't at present believe. But preaching, especially when the church is gathered for worship, that's not just for non-Christians. It's at least as much, if not more, for those who already are Christians. Why? Why is that the case? Well, because your life, if it's anything like mine, is not static. And your heart, if it's anything like mine, is not static. Functionally, Christians are always people of both belief and unbelief. And so we are those who, yes, deepest place of our soul, we say we trust in Jesus and his finished work, but also day to day, minute by minute, we choose our own way. And so it's not just those who overtly reject Jesus, but it's we who have embraced him, yet struggle to live in light of that. We too need the gospel proclaimed to us, over us, all the time. We need God to continue to give us the faith that comes by hearing, to guide us into obedience, and to form us more and more into the image of Christ. Right? We've considered in this series every single week, we're always being formed. We're always being formed. We're always being conformed more and more into the image of whatever it is, whoever it is, that we're devoting ourselves to. And as Christians, it's both easy and really dangerous to interact with preaching in such a way that we become formed in some really unhelpful ways. So for one, it's easy to interact with preaching in a way that we become formed as consumers of information, consuming preaching. Take, uh, take in as much preaching as we possibly can. And the day in which we live, technology, the internet, offers unprecedented access to sermons, written form, audio form, video form, The beautiful part of that is that we have instant, global access to some incredible preaching and some incredible preachers. The danger of that is that it can make you a consumer of preaching, where instead, we're meant to be formed in obedience. So verse 16, when Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, that's a critical part of our response to preaching. After hearing the word of God, Do we merely have some additional knowledge? Do we have some, I guess the the equivalent of like a Christian water cooler, like a cool fact we can share with someone else? 
Or has that knowledge actually transformed our hearts? Is it actually impacting the way we think and speak and live? Has it actually, is it actually in the moment bringing about obedience? One of the things that was really helpful about the men's retreat to me personally, uh, as David taught, uh, I have a tendency, uh, whether it's from preaching or books, um, to, as I read, as I interact with other people's writing, I, I read what's already, what they've already digested from Scripture. Other authors, pastors, they've spent uh, deep, intentional time in the Word of God. They've written something helpful as a response to that. They've preached something in response to that. I interact with the digested, processed, finished product of that. Uh, what David did so well, and he actually guided us through step-by-step at the men's retreat, was to take us to the text of Scripture itself. And there's something there that, that prevents us, as we do that, from becoming consumers of information. We, we interact with the Word of God itself, and because it is the Word of God, it transforms us as we spend time in it itself, in a way that, that nothing else can, in a way that nothing else can. So that's one way to be formed as a consumer preaching. In addition, it's easy and it's dangerous to be formed as a critic. So an honest question for you this morning. When you hear God's word preached, which for a lot of you in the room is every single week, are you, after hearing the word of God preached, are you more inclined to ask, what is God saying to me through his word? Or are you more inclined to ask, did I enjoy that? Was it interesting? Was it entertaining? Was it memorable? There's a level at which it's really good to evaluate preaching. Uh, you need to evaluate preaching. In the book of Acts, Paul preaches to, uh, in a place called Berea, and the Bereans are commended for examining the truth of what Paul and the other apostles preached. So by all means, uh, examine the preaching that you listen to. Make sure it is faithful to Scripture. But to be a critic of the Word of God, or even to be a critic of the specific ways in which it is delivered, that's actually to get things completely backward. See, we're not meant to be critics of God's word. God's word is actually meant to be a critic of us. It constructively criticizes us. It builds us up in the things of God, and at the same time, it tears down and rips out the sin that remains in us. And so as much examining as we are meant to do of preaching, as much examining as we're meant to do of the word of God, God's word always is meant to do far more examining of us. We have this way of, and I've been guilty of this, and I'm sure many of you have as well, we have this way of elevating ourselves over Scripture and elevating ourselves over those who preach and teach it. And whatever reason we might give for why we do that, we don't like the style, they, they said something that maybe wasn't precise enough or nuanced enough or accurate enough or however you might frame that, whatever reason we might give, underneath the real reason is almost always that if I can find something that's wrong with this, if I can find something that I didn't like about it or something wrong with the person delivering it, then I can sit in a position over the word of God rather than sitting under it. And that's comfortable uh, and that's easy because we love our independence and we love our autonomy and we hate it when people tell us what to do that we don't already want to do. But to engage with preaching by standing over it rather than sitting under it will form you in how you engage with God. It will not only form the way you interact with preaching, it will form the way you engage with God himself. Where you will be prone to, where we will be prone to elevate ourselves over God himself and therefore take what we like of his revelation and leave the rest. So no pastor 
is perfect. No sermon is flawless. Take caution that you do not elevate yourself over the word of God. It's a dangerous place, dangerous position for you to put yourself in. And instead of becoming a consumer or a critic, you and I are meant to be those who attentively listen to God and to submit ourselves to and to receive from God's revelation of himself. And that's what preaching, that's what the act of attentive listening to preaching forms in us. Listening to preaching, I don't know if you've ever considered it this way, listening to preaching is an act of worship. It's an act of, in that moment, devoting yourself to God. And therefore, it is something to participate in constantly and continually, even if it's not day in and day out, week in and week out, week in and week out particularly compelling. An author named Peter Adam offers this really insightful observation. Preaching is like eating. It might be very hard to remember the meal you had two weeks ago on Tuesday, but the fact that you've been eating meals most Tuesdays of your life has been crucial for staying alive. So because it proclaims God's word, preaching is sustenance. It's sustenance. It's meant to keep you connected to God, relating to God, following Christ, because that's where life is found. Regardless of whether it's memorable or entertaining or interesting or informative, it is God speaking to you, nourishing you, strengthening you, encouraging you, convicting you, forming you through his own revelation of himself. So if I can call you to this, when you gather for worship, when we gather for worship, prepare yourself to come and to hear the word of God. Immerse yourself in Scripture, not just on Sundays, but week in and week out. Become familiar with the story of God as he's revealed it in Scripture. And ask God in your prayers to open your eyes and ears to understand who he is and what he has revealed about himself. Come when we gather on Sundays. Come with hunger to know the God who made himself known. And come prepared to sit under the word of God rather than to stand over and away from it, evaluating it. Because God has spoken through his word, and because he has spoken through the highest revelation of that word, which is the person and work of Jesus Christ. And as Paul says here, because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, may you hear, may you believe, may you confess with your mouth. May you be ever increasingly formed into the image of Jesus. And just as God has saved you through the preaching of his word, may he save many more. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. God, I confess to you this morning, uh, I need to sit under your word just as each and every one of us in this room does. Father, we, we neglect, we diminish, we minimize the miracle it is that you have spoken and that you can be known through what you have revealed about yourself. I pray that, that knowing that definitively in our heart, that that would change the way that we interact with your word when it's preached. And I pray, God, that you would be so gracious as to continue to powerfully work through your word, whether it's read, whether it's preached, whether it's enacted visibly at this table as we're about to do. May you be, may you be kind and gracious as you are to continue to act in power through your word. May you continue to transform our hearts and sustain us. And we do pray, God, that you would continue to, to bring that saving faith to those who don't yet know you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.